Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm the Assistant Professor of Pastoral Ministry at Spurgeon College and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. Are you familiar with the phrase from the treasures of church history, the curing of souls? A lot of us still remember the winning of souls, and we employ that concept in a variety of ways, but the curing of souls has fallen on hard times. You get the impression, uh, in fact, from some church promotional material that our only job is to win the soul, and then the soul is really sort of left on its own. But remember, Jesus did not say to go out into the world and simply make converts of all peoples. He said to make disciples. And so this means the pastoral enterprise cannot begin and end with a public proclamation and private planning. It must be applied in personal care. That that phrase, the, the cure of souls, is a little antiquated today, or at least sounds so to our modern ears, uh, but it shouldn't. The curing of souls is the heart of pastoral care. And that's what we're talking about today with our guest, Harold Sinkbile, whose new book, The Care of Souls, Cultivating a Pastor's Heart, was 2020's Christianity Today Book Award winner in the Church Pastoral Leadership category and chosen as the 2019 Gospel Coalition Book of the Year in the Ministry category, also recently won an ECPA Book Award. Dr. Sangbile was parish pastor for 31 years prior to accepting a position as associate professor of ministry and mission at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And since 2008, he has served as executive director for spiritual care for Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. Brother, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, what a joy to be on your program. I want to ask you about your work with uh, doxology, actually. Could you explain a little bit about what that is and, and, and how you serve there? Yeah, it's been my privilege to be part of this. It actually goes back uh, almost uh, 25 years when uh, a friend and, and, and a parishioner at the time who was a clinical psychologist and I were discussing what it is the Christian counselors do for people and what pastors do for people. And so uh, that launched an ongoing conversation about the care of souls, actually. And uh, so we learned a lot together. We involved other um, resources and other people who invested their time and energy into uh, this topic, uh, seminary professors, other helping professions. We did a lot of research, and eventually we developed this curriculum uh, for the advanced skills in pastoral care. So it has two sides to the coin, you could say, the, the spiritual care and then the Christian counsel. And we've been doing that now for, this is our 11th season. And um, over 800 pastors in their churches have been part of this. It's uh, uh, helped uh, Christians all over the world through missionaries and, and other pastors from other church bodies. So um, it's been a real privilege uh, to explore this and to help others to uh, hang on to the uh, treasures, as you said, have been really kind of lost over the centuries and uh, to recover these things for our current times. As distressing as they are, gives us, uh, I think, a place to stand and a place to move forward in a very chaotic environment. Is is it a way? Is is, is there an aspect there of pastoring pastors? Is there, you know, <clears throat> through that um, through that ministry that you actually care for the the souls of carers? Yeah, that's a, a big part of it. I, I like to say, you know, uh, none of us would go to a barber whose hair is um, a mess. Although right now <laughs> in the COVID situation. <laughs> None of us look too good, uh, but or go to a dentist whose teeth are falling out. So obviously, if we prize the care of souls as pastors, we should have our own soul looked after. 
by one who has those skills and that responsibility. So yeah, definitely. Pastoring pastors is part of what we're about. And we like to say it's kind of a refrain with us. Every pastor needs a pastor. It's it's what I appreciate, I think, most about your book is there's certainly a lot of practical things um, in there, but it, it, it stands out in a world of sort of best practices kind of, you know, ministry resources as not just about how to carry out care, but really the heart, the, the pastoral disposition, the pastoral posture um, on, on the front side of being able to nourish, uh, you know, nurture and nourish others as well. You make some really helpful connections um, in, in the book, The Care of Souls, between um, I guess what we would call agricultural life, literally pastoral life <laughs> exactly. and, and, and pastoral work in, in your book. And a lot of that is drawn just from your upbringing, um, you know, as a, you know, growing up a farm boy. I wonder if you could, you know, you know give us a little bit of background there. Tell us a little bit about right. your story. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul says that a pastor should be apt to teach. There's a disposition inherent in the man that gives him that inclination or that desire, um, almost kind of a a posture. And uh, the uh, church fathers called this a habitus, uh, using the church's mother tongue. And as I explored this term, habitus, uh, it's not confined just to the church, of course, uh, but it is a it's a term that 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 really embraces that very thing, you know, the inner disposition, orientation of the individual toward his or her particular task. And as I thought about that, I was thinking about my upbringing back on the farm in Minnesota. And it's my father who really exhibited that first for me, um, because he never went to any kind of an agricultural school, but he learned the art of what he did every day from dawn till dusk and sometimes late into the night. Uh, simply by doing it and from observing others. And uh, it seemed to me that this has kind of been lost over the centuries. Um, We tend to train pastors as technicians, um, and uh, we sort of give them all kinds of helpful tools to use and give them kind of a formula to plug and play. But we don't really address the heart of the matter. And that's why I kind of was very happy when my editor (coughs) suggested the subtitle, Cultivating a pastor's heart, because that's really the heart of the matter. What resides within the pastor that enables him to do what he does day by day. Uh, tell me about your, your your own call, your own you know sense of of um, you know the calling into vocational ministry. W- was that as a young man? Did that come later? How did that connect? For right. you? Well, as as I just told you, I grew up on a farm, and so the yeah. ministry was not really on my radar at all. <laughs> I thought for sure I was going to be a farmer, and that's what I did from morning till night every day in my upbringing. Um, but then others uh, looked at me and said, well, maybe you should be a pastor. And I thought, well, I could never get up on a pulpit like my pastor did. I'm, I'm kind of a retiring person shy person. And so um, that was pretty intimidating. But eventually, through a series of of events, part of it was uh, the Lord's work in my life as I um, began to be involved in in a youth ministry, uh, took on a leadership role there and tried out a few things there. And then um, with the encouragement of kind of a mentor figure, decided to say, I'll give it a try. (laughs) This one year, I'll go off to um, to pastor school, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> and here I am, uh, nearly 50 years later, still giving it a try year after year. Uh, so uh, it, it, it was that sort of thing 
And um, and as I began to do this, I, I saw operative in my life what I uh, observed in my father. You know, as you do the ministry, you learn the ministry. And uh, a lot of the <laughs> great pastors of church history are, are quick to tell us what they learned about ministry. They learned from the people that they served. As you interact with them, as you teach them, they teach you. And as you minister to them, they minister to you. Um, that's a, a rich, rich benefit that I don't think a lot of people that aren't engaged in ministry recognize. Christian lay people are so very important to have fine pastors. It's the fine example of the men and women whom we serve in Jesus' name that are very important for us. What What do pastors uh, in particular today miss, do you think, in relation to, um, you know, to the, the kind of true pastoral work, given the professionalization and the modernization of ministry? Are we too far disconnected from kind of the, the um, you know, the literal sense of the pastoral uh, influence on, on pastoral ministry? What do we miss today? What have we lost, I guess? Is yes, uh, Jared, you, you kind of alluded to this in your introduction. There's been a lot of attention to soul winning, but not so much to caring for souls, uh, especially in recent generations. And um, that's not the longer history of the church. If you look at the Bible, you see the emphasis is on both. And I, I like to say it's it's time that we in our generation put back together what um, what, what human beings have put asunder. God intended um, evangelization and soul care to go hand in glove. And uh, so also faith and works go together. Truth and love are sometimes put in opposite, uh, as oppositions to each other. And yet uh, these things are, are both and. And so, yeah, I think we've, we've lost a lot of this by putting the spotlight in something else. The other thing I think is um, the trying, uh, kind of deliberately reinventing the church uh, copying some techniques that we have borrowed from business and industry, um, uh, which worked real well in sales or <laughs> in terms of developing products and so forth. But the gospel is not a product and uh, it's not for sale. And uh, so um, that uh, lesson, I think, has been a long time in, um, in learning that this really is that the gospel is something else. And the life of the church is rooted and grounded in God's gifts, not in what we make of it. It's not something that we can manipulate by human ingenuity or planning strategies. Yet, of course, you know, we do use human reason in support of uh, God's mission. And so proper planning, attention to administrative things, all these things are part of it, but they don't drive the boat. And I think that's maybe where we've gotten off track in uh, recent generations. So looking back to the longer heritage of this Corda uh, Anamarum, it was called by, the, by the, our forefathers in the church, and how this has really been carried out really in all branches of Christendom. Um, every branch of Protestantism, not merely our Catholic brothers and sisters, have emphasized this, And but it's been lost. And so uh, I'm privileged to be a part of this recovery for our generation, and I certainly didn't do it single-handedly. I've learned from a lot of others as well. And um, The ministry is, after all, a collegial process. Uh, we need one another. And uh, so the conversation, the dialogue, uh, learning from each other is how this grows. The, the, 
the book is in a lot of ways kind of a retrieval of 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 that lost art i think the biblical um you know vocation of of ministry um there's a chapter in the book you talk about holiness and the and the curing of souls or the cure of souls what do you mean by soul curing in your book right well the word cure is is probably misleading in some sense if you if you look like a strictly medical model right think of a cure as something that takes away all the manifestations of the disease and restores you to perfect health. By the way, that's not really true in terms of, of the medical art. The cure is, is something in treatment. You know, what is the cure that you're applying? Is What treatment are you applying? Uh, so as I portray it and have tried to unpack it, uh, the, the Latin term cura has implicate overtones of both care and cure within it. And I like to say that every Christian needs both aspects because we are uh, have inherited sin from Adam and we are ourselves have contributed to our own sins of both omission and commission. We constantly need attention or cure, if you will. That's a chronic need that we have. But occasionally we have acute crises in our spiritual life. And when that happens, we need specific attention for the, for the problems at hand. And that's an acute need. Or so, so for the acute spiritual symptoms, we need uh, care, and for the uh, chronic symptoms, we need cure. So it's a process that goes together all the time. So you know, every Lord's Day, God's people come together around His Word and uh, God's gifts and uh, celebrate His His gifts to us and sing His praises. And that's the normal or ordinary way that cure, souls are cured, that they're tended in Jesus' name. But sometimes when um, specific issues arise, uh, it could be fear, distress, idolatries, uh, misbeliefs, things that cause internal dissension within us in terms of our relationship with God. We need guidance, certainly, but we need uh, spiritual attention. And that's uh, where we go for uh, spiritual care to one who is experienced in that art and um, is able to guide us, but also to provide it. In Jesus' name. That's that's very helpful. I was very excited and happy to see that there's a chapter on spiritual warfare in your book. Why is that important in in a book on pastoral ministry? Why spiritual warfare? Well, we never conduct a ministry in a vacuum. We don't have that luxury. Um, And so the whole spiritual um, dimension of ministry, we're we're very conscious of the fact that we need the operation of the Holy Spirit by means of his word to do the work that we've been given to do with God's people. But there also is the evil spirit, the fallen angel, Satan, and all of his cohorts that strive at every turn to undermine and to destroy the work of Christ's church and to undermine uh, the work of the ministry. So if you read the Bible, it's full of references. Uh, to this demonic dimension. And um, I like to remind people that spiritual warfare is not an offensive battle, but a defensive one. If you read in Ephesians 6, uh, the Roman soldier who's portrayed there with all the armaments, the shield of faith, the helmet, the salvation, uh, the sword of the spirit, all these things, these armaments are armaments that were given to the garrison troops on, on the borders of the Roman Empire to watch for invasion and to then call in um, the troops, so to speak, to address 
of the invasion. And that's the pastor's job. That's every Christian's job to guard, to be on vigil, vigilant alert uh, for uh, when things go awry, spiritually speaking. And to realize, as the apostle says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. So, yeah, it goes with the territory. Um, and so it's a norm. It's not the exception. And we shouldn't be afraid of it because if we're doing God's work, we're going to come under attack. Uh, therefore, we, we're well uh, prepared to address this when we embrace all the elements that God supplies. It's really the, the age-old challenge um, for the minister, for the, for the believer, for those who are united to Christ. Um, and yet, I, as I, you know, implied, I think it's it's under. Um, we've kind of done this pendulum swing. There was a period in 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 recent uh, church history where there might have been an overemphasis on on certain aspects of spiritual warfare. Memory, even you know, caricatures of things in the scriptures. But it seems like the pendulum has swung the other way, and and we've, um, you know, like Lewis says in in his intro to you know, screw tape letters is those equal errors where you're, you're overly obsessed or you're, you know, you're completely ambivalent or, uh, or ignorant of it. So I I just thought it was a good corrective. I believe believe Lewis says you can either uh, deny that it exists or fall down at his knees. (laughs) Right. That's a, that's, uh, that's the devil's strategy. What are some new challenges? Do you think um, just in the last maybe 20 years or so, um, that that pastors face that maybe historically pastors have not maybe they're you know at, at their root it's the same old same old but w- what are some modern things that um, we've had to innovate ways of of navigating through well you know one of the problems is when you write a book as I have addressing things that are classical and by, by nature it's very easy to kind of reject them as being kind of outdated or something that's tied hopelessly to the past or an exercise of nostalgia. But I believe it's if it's truly classical, that is, if it's truly biblical for every era, it's something we can draw on in every generation. And as I look at this whole um, area and I see how the care of souls was exercised in, in past generations, I see that uh, intelligent pastors are able to draw on this tradition, let's call it that, and apply it to the situation that they live in at the moment. So, um, you know, I'm not a prognosticator or a prophet, so it's hard for me to pinpoint precise things in every decade of my own lifetime, which is going on to its eighth decade now. I can tell you that, you know, the, the devil is alive and well, and he will see to it that there's always a challenge in every generation. So, um, I think probably in broad terms, I would say um, that one of the things that has happened just in the last, what, three, four months is that in one fell swoop, a whole chunk of church history has been erased. <laughs> and we're back to uh, things uh, that have, have uh, deeper roots, or at least we ought to be. And I think the whole um, experience of the coronavirus has helped us to push reset on the church and I'm looking forward to, to great things, but also um, being a realist, recognizing that there are great dangers as well. Um, so if we focus on what's at the center, namely God's word, his interaction with people, his gifts to his 
to his church, and I come from a sacramental tradition, um, uh, so, but all Christians emphasize the gift of baptism and the Lord's Supper. You know, these precious gifts of God need to be utilized to uh, win souls and to keep souls for time and for eternity. Uh, but over the generations, I think there's been a lot of accumulations. Um, and sometimes people have pointed out the obvious that we no longer live in the 16th century. Okay, I get that. <laughs> uh, and uh, so the accused people who are more biblically oriented are trying to turn the clock back. Um, but that's mistaken, of course. Um, so the whole allegiance between the uh, culture and the government and the church has been exploded. That no longer exists. So we have an increasing amount of pressures coming upon Christians who, who believe Scripture um, in terms of their so-called lifestyles or their values, how they live their lives, their moral choices, uh, what they believe is right and wrong. This is all coming under attack. And as you well know, and your listeners know, if you hold to the truth of the Bible, you're often viewed as a bigot or a hater. And um, so this is... Uh, new to people of my generation who grew up in a very comfortable world, comparatively speaking, um, when, although there was always opposition to the faith, it wasn't quite as overt and uh, pointed as it is today. So I think that's um, fairly new. But then at the same time, there is kind of an erosion of, of a, a, a genuine connection of faith between the individual Christian and how he or she lives their daily life. So they tend to adopt um, some of the assumptions of this of us of the secular culture around them, which, if you look at it honestly, is really nothing more than a resurgence of ancient paganism. So these pagan assumptions are coming to the fore again, and by that I mean uh, things like that nature has all the answers, that people have the inherent right to pursue whatever feels good to them. So they're the assertion of their own so-called rights over against um, uh, the what they see as impossible uh, strictures being put upon them by God and his word. So uh, this kind of um, internal tension of, of trying to do my thing at all costs, this uh, expressive individualism, and many have called it, I think this has been a, an influence that like, uh, thinking Christians need to address consciously. And every pastor in his work uh, really con contends with it in one way or another. At every interaction with his people. Looking back, um, would you say what would you say was the moment, or or is there one where you could say, okay, I had the the qualifications, ordination, I had the office of pastor, but in this scenario or this season, that's when I really came of age, or that's when I really became uh, <laughs> a, a pastor. I think you know most of us have a story like that. For me, it was you know I, I you know I'd been in ministry for for years, but it was when I was you know, sitting next to someone who's about to identify the body of their of their son, where I felt like looking back, not necessarily in that moment, but looking back, I thought that's when I became her pastor or, or, or yeah. I kind of earned some stripes there. Was there a moment like that for you? There's a whole series of moments like that. <laughs> right, <And> I, well. <laughs> I spell out a number of them in the book, actually. Um, that's what I meant earlier by saying that, that God's people really teach you uh, yes. to be a pastor. And you recognize this within yourself. Um, and they're, they're great saints of God and great sinners also that teach, taught me a lot about my vocation. Uh, but uh, I think it's, 
that what you're saying is to see this in yourself it, it is a dawning light and, and it's wonderful to behold but it's also great when people recognize that in you as i told you when i started i never thought i could muster the <laughs> skill set to actually uh, begin this work um but then i recognized that um God was doing his work within me and doing his work through me. That's that's another subtext of the book, that the pastor needs to uh, concretely see that what he does in teaching, caring, pastoring, uh, consoling, exhorting, rebuking, encouraging, um, all this is not done from his resources, but, but from God's resources through him. I'd serve as a channel, or as I like to say repeatedly in the book, an errand boy for Jesus. Uh, I can't honestly say that one incident comes to mind, but there's a whole series of them. Uh, in one of the recent interviews I had, as we were dialoguing uh, for quite some time, toward the tail end, um, the interviewer said, you know, I, I can't honestly say this uh, every time we have an interview, but right now, for some reason, I feel very young. <laughs> in other words... <laughs> You're listening to some accumulated wisdom, so to speak. And I can tell you that doesn't come from me. It's something I glean from others. And uh, that's a privilege that all of us have as uh, servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. One of the things that, you know, I hear from time to time from uh, from ministers in, in the field is that seminary didn't prepare them for, you know, X. There's something that they're dealing with now or going <clears> through and seminary didn't prepare them for that or did or they didn't teach me about this. And um, you know, I, I understand the spirit behind the phrase. Yeah. You know, I teach at a seminary now, but I didn't go to seminary before I started in ministry. Um and so I, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I should you know, I <laughs> uh, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't able to say they didn't teach us this because I didn't know what they taught in the place. <laughs> but I, I tend to think sometimes there are things that even if even if I could tell my students about them, until you're actually in in the moment, mm. you're not necessarily ready or, or, you know, you don't really know, you know, the experience of it. And I wonder if that has some correlation to what you're saying about you, you become a pastor as you pastor, essentially. Yeah, I think very much so. Yeah, as you mentioned in the introduction, I serve a parachurch organization now that does continuing education for pastors. And uh, invariably, no matter whether a pastor is fairly recent in the ministry or has been at it for a long time, that comment comes up. Well, they didn't teach us this in the seminary. And sometimes I say, well, look, you know, I taught at a seminary for six years and I kind of resent that comment. I mean, <laughs> the fact is, how can anyone teach you, possibly teach you everything that will ever come up against in the ministry in in three short years, or depending on how much time you have in the curriculum. When I did teach at the seminary, I often said to my men, our job here is not to give you all the answers, but teach you what the questions are, <laughs> mm. and how to properly ask them and where to look for the answers, um, and realize that the answers are not all in a book. Uh, so my, I say that at the introduction to my book, it the traditional pastoral theology is uh, an accumulated group of, of incidents that will address almost every circumstance. Um, this is not that kind of a book. It's more addressing the, the heart of the pastor, his inner aptitude and attitude, and uh, who he is in relationship to God and his people. And then out of that, um, the application uh, grows. Uh, there are many applications that need to be made, but it's literally impossible to uh, give you a whole set that you can plug and play. Um, therefore, 
to tell you you're an errand boy for Jesus is probably the most important thing I can tell you. Uh, what does he want to give this individual in this moment? Uh, that's what I'm going to do. It's about um, formation, about preparing, you know, becoming the, the, the right sort of person rather than, mm-hmm. you know, and inheriting some kind of perceived ministerial omniscience. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but, but being the sort of person that knows where to go when, when you find yourself in over your head, which mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, good pastors are, are, are regularly cultivating that sense of, of inadequacy or, or in touch with that sense of inadequacy that, that they're too small for the task, but they know where to go. Um, you know, we have lots of pastors and other ministry leaders who listen to the podcast. Um, I, I don't know where this particular episode will find most of them, but it can be a pretty wearying season right now. A lot of the states, of course, are opening up, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that may still be going on when this episode airs. But there's just a lot of uncertainty, of course. The, you know, the, the cliche now is unprecedented. Everything is unprecedented. What's a word of encouragement? Just give kind of a final note. There's just a fatigued pastor yeah. listening to this. Exactly. What would you, you know, say to him? Right. Well, first of all, I would say to this brother, you um, have good courage because you are not alone. Not only, not only do you have a lot of exhausted pastors around you, but you have a great Lord who supports you. And of course, that's the fallacy. The implication that this particular episode is unprecedented is a lie. Um, the church collectively has faced this and worse at different times. Um, maybe in our generation, we've not experienced it before in precisely this way, but we do have a gracious Lord who equips us to do whatever is actually needed. As I alluded a little bit ago, um, this is a great time to be in ministry because suddenly all the peripheral things are swept aside and all you have is what God has given you. Uh, Now we're handicapped because we can't deliver the goods like we used to while things are shut down. But thankfully, God has also supplied some technology to help us. We're learning to do that and adapt to that remarkably well. Uh, But as we begin to emerge, and I think it's going to take a long time, uh, I would encourage every pastor, if they're feeling fatigued, to find some rest. That means physically to arrange their schedule so they're not burning the candle at both ends, paying attention to the church in their own house. Don't neglect your wife and children. Now that's for your benefit and your people's benefit too. Uh, take a break. Okay, that's, that's important um, physically and mentally. But above all, um, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He is a great Sabbath. So spend time with Jesus. Uh, spend time with his word. Go off by yourself and listen to his word. I'm a great advocate. I say this in my book. Uh, don't just, um, in your quiet time, um, meditate internally, but read God's word out loud. Listen to it. Um, pray out loud. Converse with your Lord. Uh, you will find great refreshment there. And it's uh, you fill your bucket there. You find your rest there. And then you uh, rise to your work from that. One of the analogies that I came across, and it's in my book, is that the pastor is truly an under-shepherd, yes, but primarily, he really, if you understand properly, he's a sheepdog. Jesus is the shepherd. We serve as his sheepdogs. He calls the shots. He directs us. He equips us. He comforts us. Um, he feeds us. And we do his work. That's what keeps us going. And uh, to do his work is the greatest joy in the world. You never saw a good sheepdog that didn't have his tail wagging all the time. <laughs> uh, so it isn't like being an energizer bunny, go out there and win one for the gipper, work harder, but rather work smarter. Um, realize that everything you do is directed 
both by the great shepherd of his church. What a blessed word. I think your your, your Gipper reference is going to make some people feel a little... Uh, yeah, <laughs> you need to look up uh, <laughs> yeah, right. listeners, uh, Newt Rockney, All-American, Ronald yeah. Reagan. And Ronald oh. Reagan. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. When, when he was a movie star. We've been speaking with Harold Sankbile, author of the book, The Care of Souls, Cultivating a Pastor's Heart. It's published by Lexham Press. It's available wherever good books are sold. As we mentioned in the introduction, it's won numerous awards already. If you're a minister, I highly recommend the book. It was in my top 10 uh, for last year. Uh, and as always, if you like the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.